is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. Jennifer Sedini is an oracle card reader and healer. I first heard Jennifer on Stuart Davis's podcast, Artists and Aliens, and it was a two-part set of interviews, and I knew right away that I wanted to talk to this woman. These two shows from Stuart are highly recommended, and they are linked in the show notes. In that set of shows, Jennifer described her healing work and how it is connected to her own deep immersion into spiritual practices and traditions. She's also had a lot of profoundly mystical experiences, as well as a few UFO sightings. Now, given the direction and dedication in her life, those UFO events seem to play a pivotal role. Those UFO events seem to play some important role. And this intrigued me. She is a healer, and UFOs and UFOs have been part of her journey. And like so many of us, Jennifer has her own podcast series. It is titled Radio Amenti, and I listened to a bunch of these episodes to prepare for this interview. These were conversations she hosted with psychics, healers, tarot readers, and visionaries. And many of the people she talked with were younger, and these shows, for me, were so refreshing. They covered heavy topics, yet they are fun and inspiring. So, again, I'm going to recommend anyone listening now to go seek out her podcasts. And two years ago, Jennifer published an Oracle deck, and this was in partnership with artist Natalie Miller. The deck is called Amenti Oracle, Feather, Heart, Deck, and Guidebook. And during this episode, we do an Oracle reading, and this shows up in the second half of the show. And upcoming, in December, she'll be publishing a new book titled Everyday Amenti, a guided journal for cultivating a feather light heart, and this is based on her Amenti Oracle deck. Again, I'm going to recommend the two-part set of interviews on artists and aliens. There is some overlap with Stuart's interview and my interview here, but together these paint a rich portrait of Jennifer and her work and experiences. This conversation was recorded on Thursday, October 8th, 2020. Please enjoy. Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I heard you through an interview you did with Stuart Davis, and I knew very little about you. And and I was really struck by that interview, and I and I knew right away that I wanted to talk to you. You said a few things, and, and Stuart did not follow up on those, and so that is partially the whole reason I'm doing this now, is to follow up on a few things that he didn't. I was genuinely curious. But before we start, like, rather than beginning it at the, you know, sort of in your childhood and what brought you here, I really want to know, like, what are you doing right now as far as work and what you would feel is, I guess, sort of your mission in a way? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So the last, I mean, 2020 as a whole has been a year of chaos um, on a global scale, macro, micro. I think we're all feeling it so much. And the last few months in this kind of chaos portal that we've been surfing through 
I've been really connecting deeper to my practice of meditation and diving deeper into the mind to really just find presence through a really uncertain moment in history. <laughs> and I found that it's been really deeply effective for my creative process and work, which is ultimately, you know, everything that I'm doing, I try to synthesize through art, creativity, ways to kind of tickle the imagination and inspire. Um, and ultimately, a lot of it's leading up to so in December, I have a 52 week guided journal coming out that's based off of the seven hermetic principles, the three alchemical principles and the 42 ideals of Ma'at. So right now, I think everything that's been swirling has been preparing for this new release into the world. Okay, and and you you are doing what well, we talked briefly beforehand, so I know the answer to this, but you had been doing oracle readings for people, and you've and you've taken a step back from doing that as far as the the way you were doing your work. Yes. So you know, my grandmother taught me how to read oracle cards when I was really little. I was like eight years old, and it's been a part of my life forever. You know, in high school, I was always like the kind of like parlor trick people would want to bring to parties and be like, "Wow, Jen can do really amazing readings." <laughs> and then in the summer of 2014, I was doing oracle card readings professionally, working out of a paranormal bookshop, um, doing a lot of events, and I had this moment. Um, I, I take this work very seriously, right? Like beyond the fact that my grandmother taught me how to read Oracle cards at a really young age, I've always been a precognitive dreamer, hyper intuitive. Um, I, I, I am resistant to use the word psychic because I think all time is happening at once. And, you know, you're getting little glimpses of potential when you're tapped into your intuitive space. So all that to say, you know, I was working in this bookshop with a person that, you know, she's, I'm skeptical. I don't believe any of this stuff. It was very much like a money grab for, for that person. So it became very disenchanting for me. And one night she had invited me to a seance that she was hosting. So she would, she would do these monthly seances. And this is somebody hosting a seance that says she doesn't believe in any of it. And I just sat back and witnessed this person lie and take advantage of people. And it just made me so angry that I was like, I'm never going to charge for this work. <laughs> so then oh, how, there oh, interesting. I stopped. Okay. So you 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 felt this was a charlatan doing the yes, seance. Completely. And that's the minefield in this realm is that you know there are charlatans out there and there are people even if they're not charlatans they're I guess kind of inflating themselves or their ego gets in the way of the of what could be legitimate good work. Completely. And you know I I don't want to be judgmental but being in this space you know, I, I've worked in this realm of media for the last seven years, but my whole life has been this journey of intuition and ineffable realms. And it's very easy to see when somebody's in it for the wrong reasons. You know, we all have to make a living and I don't think there's inherently anything wrong with an energy exchange for a service. You know, you're providing a service, there should be a compensation, but when you're lying or causing harm or doing it just to elevate the ego. I think that's really dangerous territory. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm sort of coming from my own issues where I've written some books about my own experiences and about my research and, and like I've worked hard on those and I like getting paid and I want the books to be successful. And there's this push and pull. There's this tug. I mean, I was born and raised in Michigan. And there's kind of this Midwestern kind of like, oh, don't you dare try to be the center of attention kind of headspace in, in the 
culture I grew up in. So, so yeah, I'm completely aware of that, of that tension. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting because it, it's important to always kind of keep yourself in check, you know, <laughs> like, thank you for showing me how not to be, but to also know that, you know, you are doing an important work when you are in this space because there's so many people that are on a path and feel lost and need that guidance or confirmation. And ultimately I think through even doing readings professionally and teaching and writing about all this stuff, like my ultimate goal is to empower people to find liberation through their, their own path, you know, and a lot of these kind of charlatans, I think they just keep wanting them to come back for more. And it's like, becomes a Svengali kind of control. And that just, it's not good. Yeah, I mean, that's the role of the teacher is to, to liberate the student and create more teachers. Um, now, would you call yourself a healer? In some ways, you know, I I always <laughs> am apprehensive to give myself any title. So even when you ask, like, what would you call yourself? I'm like, ah. Uh. <laughs> well, that's a, it's okay. You can, you're allowed to, you know, wiggle out of yeah. whatever, you know. Yes, yeah, so the, the reason I'm asking is because I have very much seen a pattern and I need to quantify this pattern of of the type of people who get in touch with me uh, because of the work I'm doing and and the number of people who are healers is is like off the charts like when people contact me I, I usually talk with them with a piece of paper and I usually just write down Reiki right on the piece of paper mm -hmm. and then I wait for them to tell me oh I'm a Reiki healer so <laughs> Yeah, I actually have my Reiki 1 certification. I, I knew you would. I knew you would. Yeah. So I didn't need to even write it down. So, <laughs> I guess, I mean, I think one of the words that I'd use to describe myself often is like a conduit, you know, so magnetizing the work and experiences and, and teachings that need to like conduct a result. I, I really like that term, like conduit or creative. <laughs> That's a, I don't know. I get I get shy about calling myself anything, though. Well, and it's what's tough because I get shy about it too, you know, like it's, you know, I'm inherently a poor self-promoter. So. <laughs> and I and I, I watch people get ahead in the game and I'm like, oh, those people are good self-promoters. doesn't necessarily make their product any different or better than someone else's, you know. Totally. Yeah, I actually, I had a friend last summer. Uh, he was saying, like, you know, we we're talking about social media and stuff. And he's he's a journalist, like blue verified checkmark on Instagram. And he's like, oh, my gosh. He's like, you should have way more followers than you do. He's like, you should really put like witch in the title. And I'm like, I don't ever want to call myself that because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, you know, like I, I feel like that's been a bastardized term that's used as like a marketing technique. And it's like no offense to the witches out there, but like I just I don't want to have become a hashtag for marketing purposes. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Hey, when I sent my initial email to you, I really didn't know anything about you. I just was like, "Ooh, I, we got to talk." That was my <laughs> sense. Like, and and I said that I was working on Whitley Strieber's network, and then you replied right away and said, "Ooh, you read Communion, mm -hmm. and it had a big impact on you." And um, when did that happen? What what was what was your experience of reading that book? So it's funny because. When I was little, I always was just so fascinated by the idea of like extraterrestrials. So I loved E.T. When I was really young, I used to have my mom tell me E.T. stories every night about, you know, aliens coming to visit me and uh, assist me. And I always felt such comfort in it. And I had to be in first or second grade, very, very young. And I remember seeing the cover of that book whether it was in a library 
I wish I had the memory, but it just hit me so hard. There was this familiarity, uh, being that young, you know, being like first or second grade to see something in, like that cover is really intimidating as an adult, <laughs> but to find comfort in it. Um, I just remember like picking up the book and I have my copy and from, from that time and I read it, I was like a young prodigy reader. Um, I read it. You were 10? Yeah. I was re- when you read that book? Really, really little. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember like watching the movie and I just Whitley Strieber I just always felt this connection to him and the way he spoke about the experiences with the other and yeah I mean it's been a guiding light on my journey and I've reread it so many times my copy of the book has this is Jenny's copy of communion written in like little kids (laughs) words I mean it's crazy Wow. Okay. So, wow. That does. So now, so you felt comfort in that cover. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like, uh, oh, there it is. Um, there you are. Wow. Yeah. So, so like I'm doing research and I'm completely like, I've just given up everything. I've like gone full force into this research. It is rewarding in every single way, except financial. And I am, (laughs) so I'm interacting with people all the time and I cannot tell you how many times I have heard people basically say like, oh, in around 1987, I was walking through the grocery store, I saw this book and basically fell to my knees in in astonishment that 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 face was on the cover. That is such a consistent point where I have, I will cautiously say this because like I would say that that cover on that book was orchestrated by an intelligence specifically to have the experience that you and so many people had seeing that cover and, and having that, that like almost an awakening experience. Completely. Yeah. Cause that type, I think I like that cover can either terrify or excite or cause a familiarity. And it's funny also, you know, you mentioned people that you've spoken with having that experience. A lot of my friends also, we found this common thread where they've seen it and it's like an activation. So I do believe it's some, some hidden hand was guiding it as like this like initiation tool. Yeah, activation, that's a perfect word, yeah. Because that's, the, the implication is that all these people have had uh, experiences that are repressed or hidden or somehow stored away in their subconscious. And that book is a trigger to to look into their to their personal life experiences completely i I would agree with that (laughs) hey we're at about the 15 minute mark let's take our very first break for free listeners you will hear a few commercials for paying members we will be right back we are back on The Unseen with my guest, Jennifer Sedini, and we are talking about her life experiences and her present work, her present work as a, as a conduit for people's healings and for people to, I guess, just better understand themselves. How did I do? Did I do okay? Yeah, I think that's really good. <laughs> okay, good, great. We talked about the cover of Communion and you reading that book as a 10-year-old, which I find remarkable. You had a powerful UFO sighting on a beach. And I would love to hear that story. Yeah. So it, that summer was an interesting summer. It happened that same time frame where I was working in the bookshop and kind of see, witnessing the charlatan and uh, a lot of a lot of high strangeness over that time. So uh, at the time I was dating somebody who was a tour manager for 
this band and you know he he had been gone a lot and he had a free weekend where you know I hadn't seen him in a month so we decided to get together some of our friends go down to the beach and just hang out and maybe like have some beers and have a good time <laughs> um, so as soon as we got to the beach uh, we actually cops came and they're like you can't drink on the beach we got a ticket and we're like well okay fine can we just hang out anyway so we hung out completely sober and at that time I was really into the work of Stephen Greer so I had the CE5 contact app on my phone and somehow we start talking about all that stuff and I was playing the crop circle tones on my phone and talking about Stephen Greer stuff well, well, well what are I have to interrupt what are crop circle tones so apparently, uh, according to Greer, some of the crop circles emit a certain frequency and vibration. And in these recordings, you hear them and they're really interesting. They're just like almost sound like weird bug sounds. You know, if, if you know, like nature sounds to fall asleep to, right? Like to think about like in the rainforest or in the jungle, like the clicking of a cicada or um, I don't know how to explain it other than that. It's like this weird, supernatural, natural sound. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're on the app. So part of part of the CE5 app is there's the crop circle tones and then they talk about the CE5 meditation protocol. But I was just playing the tones, talking about the work and just we got into this big conversation about the universe. So as we're talking about all of these things, all of a sudden we look into the sky and see these two beautiful orbs appear and we're all like, oh, my God, do you see this? And all of us are looking at the sky and like, whoa, this is crazy. They start moving in this way that is so phenomenal where it looked like, you know, one would move up to the left, the other would move to the right. It felt like they were dancing. And this was going on for about 15 minutes. And we're just all watching it completely enjoy like, wow, this is wild. I can't believe we're seeing this. It feels like they're dancing for us. It feels like they showed up for us. And then. I'm in this like, well, oh my God, these crop circle tones work. And then I start talking about like, you know, if they do respond to higher consciousness, here we are, we're all hanging out, we're all laughing, we're all in this lightness of being, there's six of us on the beach, everybody's happy, maybe there is something to this. So as this is happening, there's this beautiful like lightness that's washed over all of us too, of just feeling so happy. But then the conversation turned and somebody had asked about, well, you know, aren't there different alien races? Aren't there some that are like more nefarious? And, you know, my ex was like, well, uh, there's the reptilians, Babylonian Brotherhood, whatever, talking about all this stuff. And as he says that, we look up and this person and I at the same time go, oh, my God, do you see this? And a gigantic black, somewhat translucent triangle silently hovers over us and we just feel this wave of terror that I can't even explain fully. And all of us are like, oh my God, we need to get out of here. And when you think about the size, you know, to try and give it context, like bigger than a stealth bomber. I mean, this thing was humongous and just silently levitated over us and then went off into the horizon. Well, let me and, just ask one thing. You said semi-translucent. What do you mean? So it looked almost like a black mirror. So imagine like a uh, black, but like a mirror. So it almost was like reflecting the the surface that it was around. So maybe translucent isn't the right word, like reflective. Okay. Did it seem like a physical thing, or were you looking at some sort of like a like a hologram? It felt like a physical thing. Okay, it great. Felt like great. Okay. A, a legitimate, like a imagine a double the size of a stealth bomber 
but black, reflective, silent, just hovering over our heads. And then the shockwave of terror comes through all of us. Uh, the person and I that saw it at the same time were both like, oh, my God, I can't believe we just saw that. And we all were like, we have to go. So we ran off of the beach, went back to my apartment. And my right arm was even when I talk about it, it starts to, to tremor. Um, but I just I was shaking like a level of terror I had never felt before because the lights felt just divine celestial like it was something like it was like was it our higher self what is this and then when that black ship appeared especially after you know they were just talking kind of like somewhat in jest about like oh there's reptilians there's this I, and my head immediately went to oh look now the reptilians are here and they're, they're you know <laughs> they, they came for us and everyone felt the same level of fear and terror yes yes it was a shock wave of reverberation and you know, my ex and I were very much on the same journey of spirituality and he was very fascinated by all the things I studied and talked about. Like he called me his oracle often. And, you know, the other people that were there with us were like regular, just down to earth, salt of the earth people, like always thought that he and I were like, kind of like ungrounded and mm -hmm. weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how my family treats me. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a, a really it was interesting to have that experience with people that aren't into that kind of thing. And for them to have all felt it in such a way, um, it was really, really scary. And when we came back, we were all just like, Oh my God, like what, did, what just happened? And then he had to leave like two days later to go back on tour. So that having that experience and then him being gone and then me being alone and my arm shaking, like it, it shook shakes every time I talk about it, but it shook like really bad for the, like the two weeks after just because it was so terrifying. And, um, you know, shortly after that happened, I, I think I had talked about this on Stuart's podcast. I've never had a sleep paralysis where I have felt like um, you know, I've had sleep paralysis before, like sometimes on the plane, I'll fall asleep and then won't be able to move. And I don't know if it's because of like low oxygen, but I'm lucid and it's just my body's not cooperating. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So shortly after this happens, I wake up and I'm in my apartment and I'm completely paralyzed. And I hear people in my apartment looking through my things, talking about what I'm doing, what I'm writing, what I'm reading rustling through everything and I feel myself wanting to scream and not being able to scream like completely a prisoner in my body and this goes on for probably like 20 minutes of this awake paralysis hearing people in my apartment talking about my things rustling through my things and then all of a sudden somebody tapped me twice on my right shoulder and I snapped out of it and was able to wake up and come to and there was no one in the in the when I woke up there was nobody there here, so just a couple questions about that. Did did those voices sound like you were hearing them? I guess I'm going to ask a leading question. I don't know how else to ask it. Were you hearing people in the room speaking aloud or were you hearing telepathic communication? I heard people in the room speaking aloud. It was like being in my room with people in the room and not being able to move. You know, just it was awful. And it sounded like normal people? Did there was there did it sound like like professionals, like I want, I'm just going to say like my, my impression is it's like secret government people like sneaking into your room and going through your books, trying to figure something out about you. That's how it felt to me. And it made me feel crazy because I've never had an experience like that before. I haven't had an experience like that since. And Mike, it was legitimately as though I woke up paralyzed and there were people in my apartment rooting through my things, trying to figure out what 
the hell I'm doing or who the hell I am. And then they were gone. It wasn't like an inside voice. It was hearing voices outside around me and not being able to do anything or move. Let me let me just back up a little bit about a couple of things. I'm going to sort of put my UFO investigator hat on, and this is these are the kind of questions I ask. So, just before you talked about the arrival of the of the um, orbs, you said that summer had been a summer of high strangeness. Now, what do you mean by that? So uh, the the series of events was, uh, you know, I'm working in this bookshop. My uh, ex is out on tour. Then. You know, I was living in this apartment complex and through random synchronicity, I became friends with this 33rd degree Freemason and he became like a mentor to me. Um, we met one day I was out at the pool and he came and sat a couple benches away from me and he happened to have this one book that I had the sequel to and we just started talking. Oh, so oh, what's the book? It was the secret of all books. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it was like a funny thing because, uh, you know, he was reading The Secret and then I had The Secret, The Magic, and I was reading it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so funny. I have The Sequel with me. So we start talking. And one of the first questions he asked me is if I believe in angels. But he became this mentor, friend, uh, really special person in my life. So as all this is happening, he is kind of like this mentor on the process. So then we have this thing happen on the beach, really terrified. Then uh, I get invited to this really interesting, it's called the World Technology Network. And um, it was this summit where like Edward Snowden was giving a talk and um, people from like the UN were there. And I was the only person like me. So I'm like, why don't why am I here? <laughs> and, and how did you get invited? Through a weird circumstance where I got asked to do a speaking engagement at some festival. And um, I met the founder and he goes, I don't know why, but I need to invite you to this. And it turned out he's the chairman of the World Technology Network, used to work for the Clinton nonprofit sector. Lots of weird synchronicity. And on top of all of that, this is the summer that I began channeling too. So it was like this activation of so many events and high strangeness. And then um, beyond that summit, he had invited me again to this world summit on technological unemployment, uh, like a few months later, where it basically we got gathered in these groups and we're writing out solutions of what to do when basically technology renders us unemployed and everything was being sent to the UN. And I'm like, again, why am I here? Well, well that's happened. We're in that right now. <laughs> it's like, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is 2014. So six years ago. Yeah. Okay. So, so, wow, there's a lot here. There's a, so I'm going to go back to the event on the beach in the talk with Stuart Davis. You mentioned that you had told the story to Sean Stone and I know Sean Stone uh, peripherally. We're, we're acquaintances. And he, uh, so what did he say? What did he say might be going on with, with that event on the beach? Yeah, so he, I wound up having a lunch with him pretty sh soon after that had happened, still my arm shaking. And when I told him about, about it, he goes, oh, no, that other ship that you saw wasn't like reptilians or anything. He goes, the orbs you saw, those were probably ET or interdimensional beings or something of an, an ineffable realm. But that black ship you saw, he goes, that's like a black budget government thing. And he goes, if you look it up, you'll see there's a common thread of people will see the orbs and then the black ship will come. And I'm like, what? 
And I looked it up and I'm like, wow, there's so many people that have had this experience. And there's actually even an episode of the X-Files where it was the same thing, where the orbs come and then the black ship comes. So it's part of the zeitgeist of UFO phenomena. And it was comforting in some ways, but also terrifying to be like, wow, <laughs> the level of technology our government actually has is out of control. Well, and I'll and I'll chime in on this one. Uh, Sean Stone is immersed in the research of government conspiracies and stuff. And I am immersed in the research of, you know, I don't even want to say UFOs. I would say like the the outlying strangeness, the utter weirdness that seems to surround the UFO contact experience. That's what I feel like I'm focused on. So he was correct. Yes, it is absolutely common for people to say, oh, I saw a UFO. And the next thing I know, there were like military jets screaming across the sky or these black helicopters, you know, chased it away. And that. so that's that's very normal. That is not uncommon. Uh, and the triangle thing is also absolutely common. But my sense is like, I don't know, like it could be a black budget thing. I don't. But I would say I would argue that it was theater. You were presented with with a theater in the experience the same way that like um, someone going through a shamanic apprenticeship, you know, they would take him into the cave and then they would, you know, the villagers would would have a ceremony a metaphoric ceremony that would create or induce these these emotions, whether symbolically or whatever. So my sense is you had a symbolic experience. It might have nothing to do at all with secret government. I will also say that I have felt that, uh, I, I have felt with one of my experiences, me and another person together felt that same profound fear. Like, I don't know exactly what you experienced, but boy, um, you know, you're using the same vocabulary words I've I used to tell that story, um, yeah. and I don't think there was a secret government craft above the tent I was in when it happened. I saw nothing, um, and there's all sorts of theatrical stuff that happened to me that night um, in this sort of dream realm, and so I don't think that was secret government stuff. But I don't know what your direct experience. But so I would just I just want to take a couple steps back and say like, ooh, you know, it's it's very tough to say what concretely what's going on in these realms or with these experiences. I, I resonate with that. I'll receive that because it, I think in some ways you may be onto something there because my other, you know, one of my other experiences with the UFOs, um, over the pyramids in Egypt, you know, it was similar orbs, but a giant fleet of them. And there were so many, I couldn't even count. We need to take our second break. But before we do, like, I don't want to get into the middle of it because this is one story I definitely want to, I would definitely want to address. But before I do, I just want to, let's take a couple steps back. And, and for me as an investigator, the questions I ask, what was happening leading up to the event? That was be the orbs and the, and what happened after? So leading up to the event, you had the summer of high strangeness. And afterwards, you you didn't you haven't said it directly yet, but you began channeling. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you said your right arm was shaking. Were you while you were automatic writing with your right arm? It was a form of automatic writing. Yeah. So. Um, so the same arm that was shaking was became was, the arm that I would do the automatic writing with, okay. which is wow. You kind of just blew my mind. <laughs> oh come on! You must have thought of that before. Now that was like five years ago or six years ago. Yeah, but I I, I actually didn't. Because I'm a cartoonist by trade, and so my sense is if I was to draw this thing, I would draw you with your hand shaking, and I'd have a little thought bubble coming above your hand saying, give me a pen, give me a pen. Wow. No, you just you just opened up some kind of door for me, if not, not even, I, wow. 
I mean, that was my thought. Like, but so as an investigator, like these are the questions I ask. Oh, this is great. Yeah. So that for any paranormal experience or any profound synchronicity, I would ask the same things too. What was going on in your life right before? What was going on in your life right after? So before we take the break, what was the what was the nature or the tenor of the channeled messages? So, well, it's very interesting because uh, this is, again, the summer of 2014. So, so much that came through. Um, first, it came through and some in Aramaic, some in Turkish. It was very celestial. And um, the general crux of the information coming through is that uh, in 2019 and 2020, the earth would undergo great changes. Uh, <laughs> And, um, you know, I can pull up the, one of the channelings about 2019 and it just, it blows my mind that I received this then because it was, a lot of it came through in these like really celestial riddles, but talking about how the earth is to go through changes and, uh, we're living almost in this time of prophecy. And it was again, like almost like an initiation into understanding the time that we're in now. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty wild. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, um, wow. Okay. Let's now take our second break. Sounds good. For free listeners, you will hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen with my guest, Jennifer Sedini, and we are talking about her experiences and what led to her work and her role now. Just before the break, she brought up something that happened in Egypt. And, and I said, whoa, 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 let's let's come back and talk about that after the break. So we're back. I would love to hear what happened. And I may butt in a little bit because I really want to understand mm -hmm. this story. I, you told this somewhat briefly on Stuart Davis's podcast, and I'm going to recommend everyone who listens to this one to, to listen to that one too, because hopefully we'll cover two separate avenues of thought. So what happened in Egypt and when did it happen? So um, Egypt, I, through synchronicity and divine blessings, I was gifted a trip um, by Nassim Harriman's company, the Resonance Academy. Um, it had happened at a really interesting time when I had just started working on my Oracle card deck, that uh, the Amenti Oracle, which came out to about almost two years ago. So, you know, I'm gifted this trip through synchronicity. Funny enough, in 2012, I remember having this incredible vision of meeting a guide in the pyramids in Egypt and saying, one day you'll get here and what will get you here is your mind, which is a nice aside. So this journey that we're in, you know, we are with these guides that are in the comedic school of thought. Um, like if people have watched the pyramid code, it's a really great show on Netflix. It's, those are the people that were showing us around the pyramids, right? So one of the nights we were there, we had an opportunity to spend the evening in each of the three great pyramids. And we were able to choose different time frames. And there was like over 100 people. And I wanted to be there for like the witching hour. So I chose from like 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. as whoa, the... Whoa, whoa. So this is this like, like one more time, like you get to spend time in the king's chamber, like all alone? Well, the, it was a small group. So each each uh, group was a small group of people that got to, to spend time in it. So, um, you know, we got to go through each of the three. So the first one was the, the going through the king's chamber. And I remember when I walked in, it felt so extraterrestrial, like walking up the steps, getting to the king's chamber. It made me think of the film Arrival. Uh, when Amy Adams steps onto the ship and gravity shifts and it's just this otherworldly feeling. And 
uh, Nassim and the team were in the king's chamber toning. So the way the pyramids are built and the way that sound carries through has this extraterrestrial quality to it. And we had an opportunity, each of us, to lay in the king's chamber while they toned and, and did sacred ohms. And when I laid in the king's chamber, I had a complete out-of-body experience. Wait, wait, so well, I got to interrupt. You got to lay in the like the big shiny granite sarcophagus in the king's yeah. chamber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Um, yeah, you just I have to ask like really practical things. Did you like take your shoes off and like just do it with bare feet or like what? what? Yeah, no, I... I... I stepped in with my my boots um, and my my I think I was just wearing like black pants and the black tank top. Okay, and... okay. Because I the, my first thought was when you said that I, I was like, oh my god, I would have to take my shoes off. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> um, but I, I I would love to go back and do that and be able to take my shoes off. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you might only get one chance in a lifetime to lay in the the, the, the uh, king's chamber like that. So anyway, forgive me for interrupting. Keep going. No worries. So yeah, so while I'm in it, I had a complete out-of-body experience. And, you know, the Egyptians believe that the soul has all these various aspects of it. You know, if you've heard of like the Merkaba as this vehicle of light, vehicle of ascension, um, you know, the the different aspects of the soul, you know, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around where it's like you have the animating spirit, you have your soul double, there's all these things. But in that moment of laying in the, the chamber, I felt it. I was like, wow, now I understand because I'm literally having this out-of-body experience that looks like something out of Manly P. Hall's a Secret Teaching of All Ages, like the, the drawings of like initiation. And I'm seeing myself outside of myself and feeling myself outside of myself. And I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> these are tombs. You know, these are like initiation chambers, energy devices. Um just, you know, I've worked with plant medicine, like ayahuasca, like I've had these experiences touching other realms through various modalities. And this was unlike anything. It was literally being in this geometry of this structure and the energy within the structure compounded with sound as this scientific tool that's assisting in higher vibration and having this out-of-body experience. So that had happened. And then as I'm walking out of the first pyramid, I get outside and I look up to the sky and a bunch of us. And this is now like four in the morning or so? The This is like probably around like 2.30 a.m. Okay. Yeah. So I'd say like because it started at one and we had about an hour in each of them. So, yeah. So like I say like about 2.30. Um, I look up to the sky and a bunch of us look up to the sky and see this. And we see just a fleet of orbs, like hundreds of hundreds of orbs. Like if you imagine, um, I actually just watched my octopus teacher, which is a beautiful dog. Oh, I saw that too. I just saw it the other night. Yeah, I loved it. So beautiful. Um, but the underwater scenes of like seeing these like schools of jellyfish underwater. Imagine that in the sky just flying so fast, orbs after orbs after orbs. We're all like, oh, my God, like, what is going on? And I remember looking to the guides and they were like kind of smart. They're like, yeah, this happens a lot. And then, you know, this goes on for probably like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20, like around that time frame. Two military planes come and fly over the pyramids. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's really interesting. So they say, yeah, the pyramids are actually like a no fly zone. But it's a common thing. The orbs come and then the military planes come. So that was really interesting. Wow. But there the wasn't like a black triangle ship. It was like two military planes flying loudly over the pyramids. So so I know two other people, both of them who have had UFO contact experiences. Um, one of them is Barbara Lamb, 
And she got to meditate in the king's chamber and had a profound, I think it was an out-of-body experience. She's told this story many times. And um, also uh, Robert Stanley, who's had, I don't want to speak for him, but he certainly has had experiences that sound like UFO contact experiences. He wrote a book called UFOs Over Washington, D.C. And he had a spontaneous out-of-body experience just standing in the king's chamber, not in the sarcophagus itself, but just standing in the room there. So um, so you're not alone in this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's definitely, definitely something to that. I, I actually, before this trip, um, in my old podcast, I had a podcast called Liberation Frequency that I did about like 23 episodes of, and I interviewed Freddie Silva, who has a book called The Lost Art of Resurrection. Sure. And he talked about a lot of people have that experience where they'll just see like these apparitions or specters or out-of-body things happening because, I mean, these spaces hold such powerful energy. You just feel it reverberate through every fiber of your being. So whether you see it or feel it, there's something palpable about being in these sacred spaces. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that you have had a past life regression through hypnotherapy. Yes. Would you be open to talking about that? Yeah. So, um, again, that weird summer. <laughs> that the is... 2014? Yeah. <laughs> so I had a past life regression hypnotherapy session in 2014. So oh, I'll, wow. just, I'll just front load you with that. So anyway, keep going. Yeah, so that, that happened that summer as well um, by a hypnotist who's gone on to become very famous. Um, at that point, she was just starting her business and um, which is really interesting to have kind of had that gift from somebody now who's you know, I think she's charging like thousands of dollars for one-on-one sessions. And we did it in trade. I read her Oracle cards in exchange for this past life regression. So I had the regression and I saw myself so clearly uh, looking down, seeing around me. And I saw myself in Southern France and the emotions that I had were so overwhelming. Uh, I was just sobbing hysterically. And the name that I was, was Sarah and which was a weird thing having that in past life regression because when I was really little, I was obsessed with the name Sarah. I wanted my mom to name her car Sarah. Everything had to be Sarah. And then stepping into this life in southern France and having the name be Sarah and having this overwhelm of emotions. And, um, you know, I saw my life. I saw my death. I saw. So basically this regression is like seeing the life that is most necessary to see now for your path in this incarnation. So when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, like, is this even real? Is this just like a figment of my imagination? Because the implications of this being my past life makes me feel crazy right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like emotional to even talk about. Um, but it definitely uh, added to that time frame of swirling uh, strangeness. And, and were there events in the Sarah's life that you like learned about through the session? Yeah, you don't have to tell if it's if it's too emotional. Don't worry, but you just yeah. So um, <laughs> you don't have to. No pressure at my end. If you... Yeah, I just I just don't. It's just like such a crazy thing to say out loud. So basically, I see myself in the life of uh, this woman Sarah, who is in you know rural France in like <laughs> biblical ages, like long long time ago, and she's just sobbing hysterically over the loss of Yeshua. Um, I didn't even know that like Jesus was ever named Yeshua or called Yeshua. 
And that was like in the recording, I'm just crying and sobbing about him. And I had never heard of the Essenes before, um, but that word came through the reading. And in her life, it was this life of a person that is mourning the loss of Yeshua and is practicing this really kind of sacred tradition and also at the same time so angry with humanity um, that she puts herself into isolation because, you know, in the, in the regression you get walked through the death and you see her die alone. And whether this all was a figment of imagination or something, uh, it really deeply affected me because it's, it's been this kind of thread on my own path too of feeling so deeply and seeing so deeply and then all the reflections in this cosmic mirror of the charlatans of spirituality that find this thing to wear and don't embody it or just find a way to prey on weak people and sell snake oil and that kind of anger and wanting to isolate and all that it's like a lot it's kind of like been on my own path so whatever it meant um it's just the implications of of if that was the past life or if we're all one and maybe just seeing a life that we're all connected to, um, it further kind of fed the strangeness because then when the channeling started and words were coming through in Aramaic, which is a, a language I don't know how to speak, <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. it became like, what is, what is going on? Um, what does this all mean? Wow. Was it healing for you? Very very uh simultaneously healing but also like confusing because you're like oh my god <laughs> this is this the implications of this are so intense um but it it was like almost affirming you know again like to compare it to finding communion and seeing the cover of whitley's book and being like oh there you are having that was like oh there it is that makes a lot of sense um so it was affirming and overwhelming all at once. Wow. Um, so I had a session in London with a woman named Lorraine Flaherty, and uh, there's two separate episodes on Whitley Strieber's Dreamland from a few summers ago. It'd be easy to look up if you looked up Lorraine Flaherty. And I have been very open talking about this, but I have had a lifelong issue with severe clinical depression. And at times it got very bad and at other times it was just a chronic low-grade depression and I was for much of my life I feel I have functioned very poorly because of it and I I tried everything I tried you know I read the Bible I tried meditation I was on all kinds of medications I tried like diets and so I went in Lorraine Flaherty I we had a little talk before it started and she said, like, you know, so what's it, you know, what's the first, you know, the, the, the reason I went was to hopefully find some solace and help with my issues of clinical depression. And I, she, you know, in the little office in London, she kind of asked a few questions. He's like, what, what's the feelings you get when it first starts your depression? I said, well, the first thing I lose is hunger. Mm-hmm. Like I just have the ability to feel hungry, which is like a sort, normal sort of lusty, passionate thing to be hungry for food and then eat food. Like, that disappears completely. And I recognize that as a warning sign. And and then I said, like, it, like being depressed is like feeling your feet are trapped in cement. Yes. So 
a bunch of stuff came up and and uh, I've talked about this I'll, I'll just so I this lifetime appears from about the 19 God I'm shaking all over right now this lifetime appears from the 1920s and I'm um like an art student a young art student and and uh and I'm very prideful and I'm arrogant and I'm very skilled I'm a very talented artist but I'm very skilled and I and I'm in the session all of a sudden um like I I say like something's wrong with my face like something's wrong with my face and Lorraine said that my face had swollen up she watched my face swell up in the in the as I was laying in the chair and and I said someone's beaten me and I'm blind and I was a young artist and I now I'm blind because I've been beaten so badly and Lorraine says who beat you and I said my father and at that point I sobbed uncontrollably and I and 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 all my life I have been, I've had a tough issue with, I'm an illustrator and I'm an artist and I've drawn all my life. And I have had a very sort of schizophrenic relationship to my role as an artist. So I don't know whether this was, again, just what you said, I don't know what this was some sort of metaphor that I was presented with or whether this truly happened. Um, and there's a little bit more to that, but... So I come out of the session and I, uh, like she counts down from 10 and I open my eyes and sort of sit up in the chair and I said, was I crying? Did I, did I cry for a while? And she said, yes. And then I said, the first words out of my mouth were, I am so f***ing hungry. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> I, um, oh. Wow. Um, I, uh, I want to be clear, like I, for a long time, I wouldn't, like I knew, like I knew right at that moment, I knew it was, I was, it was gone. I was cured. And I have had such a hard time, uh, like saying that I like want to, like, I don't want to make that, that strong statement that I was cured. Like every time I do it all, I say, knock wood, it feels like I'm cured, yeah. but I won't say it. And I just feel like I'm. Like I had such a strong knowing that I'm cured and I'll, so that was in, uh, <clears throat> sorry, um, that was in 2014. I haven't had any issues with clinical depression since then. And I have not been able to say that since I was 12 years old. So, oh, wow. so, you know, I was on Prozac for seven years. I've done, you know, so I, in this two hours in a chair cured it. Wow. So sorry, I felt like I got a little. Um, that was emotional for me to say that. No, thank you for sharing that. Sorry, I'm shaking a little bit. Um, uh, yeah. Here, I'll ask a question of you. Uh, have you ever had any unusual experiences with owls? I haven't with them uh like in a in the physical form like of seeing an owl but i find owl feathers all the time all the time in the most random weird unexpected places um and you know because the 
there's an act where like you can, actually can't keep owl feathers because it's a goblin. Yeah, yeah, it's a predator. You're not allowed to have any predator feathers. Yeah, yeah. but I'll find them constantly, which is really interesting because they, they always seem to appear in the most unlikely circumstances or places. Okay. Um, this When I used to do a podcast ages ago, I used to have, ask a handful of questions. And I'll just... How would you define shaman, a shaman or shamanism? So uh, for me, from my experiences with working with shamans, you know, indigenous shaman from Ecuador and, you know, other kind of like more like gringo shaman that have kind of been on this path, I think the most effective answer for what a shaman is, is somebody who is able to walk between worlds with grace and understanding of the light and dark nature of all things. Um, somebody that can, you know, understand and discern that dreamlike reality with a level of grace that requires deep training and discipline. Um, that's that's probably the best answer I'd be able to give for what a shaman is. Okay, okay. Um, how would you define archetype? Um, so yeah, so for me, like thinking about archetypes, I I really love um, the idea of using the metaphor of the major and minor arcana of the tarot. So you know, people ask, what is the tarot? Is this the, is it like telling the future? Is it telling me I'm going to die or like meet my husband? What does it mean? And I'm like, this is the best way to explain it. So in the major arcana, you know, it starts out as the zero card, which is the fool. You know, he's kind of like blindly walking off into the sunset, about to like walk off of the cliff, but blissfully unaware of this step into the wild unknown. But, you know, starting at the fool, he goes through this life journey of coming to understand the way of the world. So everything that is met along the way are various gradients of the human soul, the blueprint of the human spirit into form. So each of us, you know, looking at like humanity or human consciousness as an archetypal form, we're each going to go through different levels of consciousness as we come to understand the way of the world, you know, where we begin the world unaware, then all of a sudden we connect with our divine nature and realize that we can direct our thoughts. That's when we tap into the magician or like the emperor, the empress, the hierophant. There are all these aspects of humanity embedded within this blueprint. So if you're like thinking about an archetype, it's, it's something that's within the zeitgeist of the human experience. Um, you know, as a woman, they talk about like maiden mother crone, yeah. you know, those are archetypes of like what it means to be a, a female, but, um, yeah, it's basically like the tapestry of, of being a human and pulling different threads to understand yourself better, if that makes sense. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. No. So, and, and the reason I'm asking this is because you found the owl feathers. And so I asked you this right before we started the recording, um, I asked, do you know anything about me? Like as we headed into this interview, so and you said no, and which I thought was great because I feel like I've been really pigeonholed uh, as far as my research. It's my own fault. I'm, <laughs> but I have been researching owls and their relationship to direct UFO contact, and I have, I have so much information. I'm, I'm, I, I somehow got on this path through direct experience with owls very mystical experiences with real owls and and I kind of put the word out and I kind of started a little blog and and I asked people with owl stories to contact me and I have been collecting it's unimaginable the number of powerful mystical stories I have collected simply through asking the question 
you know, have you ever had any odd experiences with owls? So you told me about finding the owl feathers. I've through people I've talked with and people who I trust uh, and who would know people on a shamanic apprenticeship, whether they become full shamans or they take on some sort of other type of healing work, um, will find owl feathers or they will be confronted with owls or they'll be confronted with owl imagery might be a you know pictures of owls or something like that but what you just described is something that happens and is well understood where where people are on a shamanic path and they will find owl feathers that's so that's the reason i asked and my best definition of the the role of the owl would be it's an archetype like it's imbued with some deeper hidden meaning that we can tap into at a at an internal level, we might not be able to tap into it on a conscious level, but we, just by being human, are gifted with this internal sense of knowing what the owl means and, and its resonant power that might be very difficult to explain um, consciously. So when you said that, I was like, oh. And then I asked those two questions, which I have asked a lot of people, both those definitions for um, shamanism as well as archetype. And everyone gives a different answer, which is fine, because those are both pretty elusive things. You know, shamanism has its own um, thing. So sorry, I didn't mean to hold the floor for that long. But um, yeah. Uh, so I'm at the point now where I've taken a couple steps backwards, and like, I feel like our society is adrift, and we need shamans. We don't have a village shaman anymore. Like if we were turn the clock back 500 years ago when we were in South Dakota, if you had a mystical experience, you could just go to the edge of the village and ask the shaman. We don't really have that right now. But what we do have is we have people like you that people can contact for a shaman-like role. Is Do you feel that's fair to say? Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and again, you know, I, I like that. It's something that's needed, you know, like back in the ancient times, there's like uh, tribal elders or councils or, or people to consult when you've had these like intangible experiences and want to make sense of them. And, uh, uh, you know, again, not to be so like negative and about like the money aspect of things, but the fact that so much of it is put behind a paywall, I think kind of does a disservice because people are needing that. I think, you know, humans are such sensitive creatures and we can all feel the collective weight of the times that we're in and it can be confusing when you go down like a click funnel of well this is what I need to do or this is what I need to be and the role of the shaman is so important now and having it be accessible even more so and then and then you finding owl feathers to me so what happens people contact me and tell me these profound owl stories and they say what does it mean mm. and I'm and I'm and I'm usually at a loss. I can say, here's some other stories and here's what it might mean. But when you said you were finding owl feathers, that was my gut reaction. Like, oh, you're you're on a path. And those those are clues along the path. I like that. And I, I receive that because even, I mean, it makes sense when I was in Egypt and outside of the Sphinx, I found a, a feather there, which is like such an unlikely place to find a feather. And it wasn't an owl feather, but it was shaped perfectly like the feather of Ma'at, or some may pronounce it as Mayet, which is actually the Egyptian netter that my Oracle deck I created is based around. Hey, speaking of the Oracle deck, would you be willing to pull a card and we can talk about that? Or you can go through the process of what 
you know, how you do it and because I'm genuinely interested. Absolutely. Just give me a moment. Um, I'm going to get the, the decks for you. <laughs> okay. Great. So what I'm going to do for us is, you know, the Oracle deck that uh, I created in partnership with my illustrator and who's come to be like one of my best friend's sister on the path, uh, Natalie Miller. They're more like affirmations. So they're based off of the this Egyptian netter, Ma'at, Mayat, who is essentially this goddess of justice, order from chaos, balance, truth. And in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the weight of your soul is measured by your heart. And if your heart is as light as her feather, you can pass through to the next life. So when you're in the weighing of the heart ceremony, there's something called the 42 negative confessions of Ma'at. Um, but our deck is based off of the 42 ideals of Ma'at, which are taking those negative confessions and turning them into positive affirmations. So they can be used as a tool to divine insight and to find a deeper connection, but they really work in tandem with the tarot or with other oracle decks as well. So what I'm going to do for our reading is use my grandmother's oracle deck, which is the cards that I learned from. So I'll pull four cards from there for us and then pull one from a mentee just to have it be kind of the signifier or uh, kind of like what's going to drive the point home. Okay. So um, do you think we should do for the collective or just uh, would you like me to pull some cards for you? What would Let's, be uh, ideal? My life is in transition right now. Let's. I'm going to be selfish. Let's pull a card for me. Okay, great. So um, I just ask that while I'm shuffling the cards, keep your mind open, focus on, on what you really like to receive, and then I'll talk about what comes through. Great. Okay. So... We're going to start with the cards that we received from my grandmother's deck. So um, grandma's deck is really interesting. There's been nothing that I've seen that is like it before or since. Uh, try as I might, I've never been able to find the origin of these cards. But the closest style to what these cards are is called the Leonormand. Um, so the first card that came for this reading for you was a gate opening. So... You know, you look at this gate opening to a new horizon, but there's a sense of uncertainty about what the horizon is going to offer. You know, it's this gate opening up to what almost looks like a forest or something that's like a bit nebulous, but it's new opportunity, new beginning, new opening, but an uncertainty of what that actually will be. The card that fell next to it. So throughout the deck, there are different uh, male and female cards and they're each looking in certain directions some have brown hair some have blonde hair um, some are looking to the left some are looking to the right so the card that is pulled next to this new gate opening uh, it's a female card with more like fair hair and she's looking to the left and she's upside down so for me I'm sensing with like a new beginning or a new gate opening and then this feminine card being upside down looking to the left there's a heaviness in the heart that may need to be addressed as this new beginning is happening or there's a heaviness when it comes to maybe like uh, a feminine consciousness. There is something relating to like a feminine thing that's weighing on your heart because next to it is what are these card is it's letters. So, you know, when we're waiting for something in the mail, we're waiting for something to arrive or waiting for the answer to come to us, but it's not coming so quickly again, like new beginning, new opening, 
this feminine heaviness on the heart, but then these letters waiting, it's upside down also. So being next to the female card upside down and then having the cards being the letters being upside down, it's kind of feeling like a holding pattern of sorts. So you're waiting for an answer to come, but the answer is not coming right away. And it's creating this kind of sense of like uncertainty of all things. And uh, the final card of it is a gift. So the gift card represents like what, what your gifts are, your presence, um, your divine purpose. That's also upside down next to what you're waiting for. So it seems like this process of waiting, this holding pattern, this new beginning that's like right there and, and right there for you to happen. There's all this other kind of like uncertainty within it and almost like this stagnation of your inherent gifts that isn't flowing as much as it should be, but it's all tied to it because your gifts are what's pushing you forward. But then all this other energy kind of coming around is also like having the gifts in this holding pattern too, if any of that makes sure, sense. Okay. And then the card that I pulled from my deck uh, is I converse with awareness, which is really interesting that that's the card that we pulled since we're on a podcast and your your voice is a part of your talent that's guiding your future progress and um, you know, being on this network and having having your podcast. So conversing with awareness, you know, you see a woman kind of speaking her reality into the world and there's a hummingbird by her shoulder. So there's this like lightness of being. So understanding the power of your word and speech and what you're putting out into the universe seems to be like a kind of thread that ties all of this together as well. Wow. That's very nice. That's a very, uh, very pleasant reassurance that, you know, I mean, my life is in transition. Lots of stuff is going on right now. And one of the things I want to get back into, which I haven't done for a long time is to start drawing again. I, I totally was working on a handful of book projects. Everything went on hold and I haven't really drawn anything meaningful in six years so wow yeah and that's a gift that you have you know for that gift you know the beginning of the reading is a gate opening to new new potential but it's not completely seen and then kind of some of the nebulousness in the middle and that the gift card being upside down being tied to whatever holding pattern this is or this transitory pattern um needs to be right side up because your gifts are guiding your process but they're also in a process of yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm totally in a holding pattern right now. I recognize that. So, and there's stuff to do in a holding pattern. I got to take care of some, you know, pragmatic stuff and business stuff and some book project stuff. And it's all very, it's not very creative. The stuff I'm doing right now, but I need to do it. So, uh, it's nice to be in this holding pattern to some degree. So. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the way. Like with an oracle card reading works. It's like more like confirmation or like kind of being like, ah, okay, that makes sense. You know, the tarot, we can dive deeper. Um, and that's, again, like more like elements and archetypes. But this is just like, this is what's going on right now. Let's look at it and move past it so that the nebulousness on this other side of the gate can clear and you can see more and, you know, move whatever energy is keeping this holding pattern going so that you can have creative flow again so that you aren't like waiting for it to kind of like inspiration to hit to just yeah, yeah, that's that, I agree. I get that. Yeah, so the inspiration, yeah, I've got inspiration. I think about drawing all the time, and I just don't. I just, I'm the inspiration yeah, thing is so is, it's, is a double edged sword because you get inspired and then you get so, you know, that there's there's a expectations involved in that inspiration. So you, then you kind of seize up a little bit. It's better to like, I guess how to say this. I always say like, you know, drawing is like playing the banjo on the front porch. Right. You know, you just kind of play it and, and you don't have to worry about you're not recording it. There's nothing sacred about it. It's just going off into the ether and that's it. And that's what a you know, that's what a sketchbook is, is just playing banjo on the front porch. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of offers another layer to this, you know, the female card that came through because it can have so many different layers to what the meaning is. But if you look at it archetypally, you know, creativity is feminine consciousness. You know, if you look from like the comedic mystery schools, they talk about like left brain, right brain, you know, that the creative part of the brain is considered more of like oh, the yeah. feminine oh, yeah. and consciousness. I, like it's your it, intuition, creativity. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've, I feel like I have a very feminine side to me as far as my illustration and the role of the artist and the work I've done over the years, you know, so the teaching work I've done, I always I feel like I have a very feminine teaching style. Um, so we have gone a little bit over an hour, about five minutes over an hour or so. How are you holding up? Should we, like, we can wind this down? Sure. Got to figure out a way to, so like, I'm just as an aside thing. I did not expect to get, actually, you know what? I'm going to take that back. I like was worried. I knew if, when I brought up the past life aggression, I knew I was going to get emotional. Mm -hmm. So I was. Thank you for sharing and being vulnerable. I really oh, oh, I mean, I've been, I'm, I'm like, that's my feminine side. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm totally, I'm pretty much at peace with talking about, you know, being depressed and abducted by aliens. So I might as well, you know, so that's fine. I, I, I'm all about being clear with my emotions and, and not, and not worrying too much people with stories that things that involve other people. I'm very cautious about sharing those stuff about myself. Like I put it, I've been putting it all out there to my own detriment at times. So, okay, let's bring us back in. Jennifer, this has been really remarkable. Like I, I did not really know what to expect with this, this conversation. And it was much more engaging and personal than I thought it would be. Like I choked up a little bit there and, and, and I'm fine with that. But this was a very moving conversation for me. And thank you for doing the, the reading too. I, I wanted people to know the type of work you're doing. And, and I thought just a demonstration like that would be a very clear way of, of showing that to the listening audience. Um, is there anything you want to share before we go? Like, just can you tell people how to get in touch with you? Yeah, so thank you, Mike. I'm so grateful that you got in touch. And this really has been a lovely conversation. Um, I feel so, so grateful. <laughs> um, oh, good. As do I. Uh, yeah, so if you want to stay in touch with me, um, my website is jennifersodini.com. Um, my Oracle deck is a Menti Oracle. My guided journal uh, comes out December 1st. It's called Everyday a Menti. So it's available on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles, major retailers. Um, I do have a podcast that um, I'm hoping to get back into flow with, which is Radio a Menti. But yeah, I mean, all those things you can find on my website and I'm very responsive. So if anybody feels called to reach out, I am happy to receive your messages and to respond. Well, thank you. This has been this has been a delight and it's been very emotionally rewarding for me. So I, so I'm, so my, my thank you is genuine. Thank you. I echo that. It's a, it's a beautiful reflection because I feel very, very much the same. So thank you, Mike. Okay. Bye now. Bye. This is Mike, and I am chiming in after the editing. I said it a few times in the last couple of minutes of the show, but this was a really emotional episode for me. I cried when I shared my past life regression. 
Um, and, and Jennifer was great. And it, and it felt right to, to say that. But, it, but what it was, the source of the emotions, and I said it, but I don't think I said it very clearly. Uh, in the interview itself, I was pretty shaky. And, and, what has, and what has been hard for me is my own cautious nature. I had this powerful experience under hypnosis. And upon waking, I knew I was cured. It was so plain to me, so clear. I knew it. Yet, in the years since then, I have been so hesitant to say it, to just say it. I would, I would dance around it. I would give myself an out. I would say things like, I feel cured, or it seems I'm cured, or until now I'm cured. But I'm going to say it right now, that session cured me. It solved what decades of medication and therapy could not solve. Again, I have not had an episode of clinical depression in over six years, and I have not been able to say that since I was 12 years old. I am now 58. Jennifer and I talked for a little bit after the interview and after the recorder was turned off. I kind of asked if I should edit out the part where I got so emotional, and she said no, and I was very quick to agree, so it's in there. I want to say that there are people out there doing healing work, outside the boundaries of what we might want to call established mainstream medicine or mainstream treatments. There are people doing powerful healing work, and some of these people, perhaps many, have had UFO experiences. This is a pattern, and it tells me there is some connection between UFOs and healing. This is what I wanted to explore in this episode, that mysterious, heartening overlap between UFOs and mystical healing. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.